Dr. Jane, absolute pleasure to meet you and thank you very much for taking the time uh, to speak to me. Welcome to Expo City Dubai. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's an honor to have you here. I'd love to know a little bit more about the Roots and Shoots program that you're launching here at Terra. Could you tell us a little bit more about the initiative? It began in 1991 in Tanzania uh, because I was meeting young people actually from all around the world. Even back in the late 1980s, they were losing hope. Uh, they said we'd compromise their future and there was nothing they could do about it. So, of course, we have been compromising the future of our young people, probably ever since the industrial, even the agricultural revolution. Um, but I felt that, yeah, although we're still in a way stealing their future, even now, but it's not true, there's nothing that can be done. It's like a window of time, and we don't know how big it is. It is closing, but Roots and Shoots was born because of this group of 12 high school students who had concerns about different environmental and social problems. And so we, we got together with their friends, and we decided, OK, we'll create this program called Roots and Shoots. Its main message will be, Every individual makes an impact on the planet every single day, and we can choose what sort of impact. And because everything in nature is interrelated, each group would choose projects to help people, one to help animals, one to help the environment, or one big one that encompasses all three. So from that group of 12 high school students in Tanzania, we're now in 70 countries. Well, we have members from kindergarten through university. We even have adults forming groups and they're changing the world. They're my greatest reason for hope. It is very easy for young people in particular to feel disenfranchised, to feel like there's no hope. Certainly they're exposed to so much information now with the internet, with social media, and, and, and news travels fast. What's your hope for those people that will participate in the program here in Dubai? Because the region has its own challenges. What's your hope for them? Well, I think my hope for what happens to them here will be what happens everywhere so far, that they become inspired because they're taking local action. They, they understand that there are other young people just like them doing the same kind of things now in 70 countries. And so they're now feeling, well, what I do here is multiplied, you know, collective uh, results of many, many small programs, even small individual actions the cumulative effect can really make change. So when you hear think globally, act locally, it's the wrong way around. Because if you think globally, you're filled with do. Yes. But if you think locally, okay, I can do this. I do care. I, could, I can start people picking up trash. I can start people turning off their lights. I can start people collecting cell phones so that the, the mineral can be taken out and so on. I think you feel really empowered when you do that, when you start to take small actions yourself and you see those adding up and yeah. you do so with other people and you share your experiences, you do feel empowered. And your, your journey started really with you taking quite extreme action. You, you had an initial interest and inspiration for, for chimpanzees. Can we go way back there and tell us a little bit how you, you got started, how you went to Africa and how, how the journey kind of began for you? Well, I, um, I was born loving animals. I don't know where it came from. And I had a very supportive mother, which made a huge difference. So when I disappeared for four hours, when I was taken to stay on a farm by mum, 
and she'd even called the police. Nobody knew where I was. And I was waiting in a hen house uh, for a hen to come in because I couldn't see the hole big enough for the egg to come out. And I saw it. And, you know, many mothers would have been angry because she'd called the police. How dare you go off without telling us, she might have said. But no, she saw my shining eyes and sat down to hear the wonderful story of how a hen lays an egg. And uh, she supported, you know, there was no television when I was growing up. It was books and being out in nature. When I was 10, I read this little, I'd saved up my few pennies of pocket money and I could buy this little book, very cheap edition of Tarzan of the Apes. And I read it from cover to cover, felt passionately in love with this glorious Lord of the Jungle was jealous as anything when he married the wrong <laughs> But of course, I knew there wasn't a Tarzan. But that started my dream. I would grow up, go to Africa, live with wild animals and write books about them. Everybody laughed. How would I do that? No money. Africa is far away. It's a dangerous place full of fierce wild animals and cannibals. And anyway, you're just a girl. But not my mother. She said, if you really want to do something like this, will have to work really hard, take advantage of every opportunity. And if you don't give up, hopefully you find a way. So to cut the long story short, I had to get a job. Um, I learned uh, secretarial training. We couldn't afford university. And then came the opportunity, a letter from a school friend whose parents had bought a farm in Kenya. She invited me for a holiday. I worked as a waitress from home. Uh, so that I could save up the money. It took about five months. And there I met the famous paleontologist, Dr. Lewis Leakey. I would have studied any animal, any animal, to be out in the wild. And he offered me the one closest to us, our closest living relative, the chimpanzee. I mean, how amazing is that? I particularly love what you said there about having such a strong vision an intention for what you wanted to go and do and as grandiose and as extreme and crazy as you might have seen to other people it's when you attach belief to that vision you then be able to manifest that as a reality it's such an important message i think for people that if you have such a, a strong calling and something that you really want to do yep, and you really believe in also the support of my mother yeah because so many mothers would have just said don't be ridiculous like everybody else did mm. you know or fathers but my father was he volunteered and went fighting in the war, so I didn't really know him. It's amazing that your mother saw that potential yep. at that age. When you were there initially working with uh, the chimpanzees, was there a breakthrough moment? Was there a kind of a moment that you remember that where you really thought, wow, I I'm seeing something for the first time, or it's, it's really something that you, you, you can look back on and think that was a breakthrough moment? Oh, absolutely. One thing, for four whole months, the chimps ran away. Four months. And I only had money for six months. <laughs> and um, then fortunately, one individual, very handsome, very calm, his name, I named him David Greybeard. And one day I saw him through my binoculars. It was about, I don't know, how far away. And he was picking pieces of grass and using them, pushing them down into a termite mound, pulling them out and picking off the termites with his lips. And at that time, it was thought humans and only humans used and made tools. 
So he was not only using the grass as the tool, but picking leafy twigs and stripping the leaves and side bits to make a tool. So that was the breakthrough. That brought National Geographic into the picture. They agreed to go on funding me when the six months money ran out. And so that was an amazing moment. But there was another one that was, in a way, for me, more special. And that was the first time I walked up to a group of chimpanzees with three males grooming and a few young ones and females. And I accidentally came too close to them. I was climbing up the side of a, of a, of a ravine and they didn't run away. They just looked at me and went all grooming. And that was, ha, ah, I felt I'd made it. How did you realize you were too close? Well, because normally I tried to, you know, keep as far away from them as like uh, 20 feet. Yeah. Because otherwise they'd run away. And this time when I climbed up the side of this ravine, the chimpanzees were right, not as close as you, but maybe three times as far away as you are. Well, And they just looked up and it was way closer than I'd ever been yeah. before. One experience. Was there a moment beyond that where, when you started to think more in terms of conservation, more in terms of the environment, I mean, the initial work being with, with, with chimpanzees, but was there a moment, I know, I know now that we, we can see the damage that's happening to the planet on a, on a global scale. Did you start to notice on a, on a personal basis that the environment was changing, that things were, were starting to become strained due to... Not no? then. No. This was 1960. And the forests were still there. The mm. big logging companies after World War II, they started off in Asia. And um, I think second, they went to South America. So when I began, they hadn't really invaded Africa yet. And it wasn't until I flew over this tiny Gombe National Park in 19, of the late 1980s, that what had been part of a forest that stretched across Africa was a little island of forest surrounded by bare hills. That was the moment when I knew that I had to leave the forest that I loved and try and do something about saving the chimpanzees. That was 1986. And how do you feel things have um, progressed since then? What changes have you seen from that initial moment when you recognised that we were in a, in a difficult situation to today? How have you seen that situation play out? Well, in two ways. Overall, much greater awareness, but unfortunately, forests are still being destroyed. But when it comes to the forests around Gombe, when I flew over, I looked down and I saw, you know, these bare hills that had been forested. I realized that the people living there, there were too many for the land to support, and they were too poor to buy food from elsewhere. Their own land was overfarmed, infertile. So they were cutting down the trees simply to try and make more land to grow food or to make money from charcoal or timber. And it hit me. If we don't help these people find a way of making a living without destroying the environment, we can't save chimps, forests, or anything else. And that's when the Jengarol Institute began our program, started Take Care, but we call it Takari. And it's started with the 12 villages around Gombe. It's now in all 104 throughout Chimp Range in Tanzania. It's a very holistic program. It includes scholarships, 
to give girls a chance of secondary education, um, microfinance, so that the villagers can choose their own small, environmentally sustainable business. And that is now in six other African countries where we work with chimps. And it, the trees have come back. Amazing. Talk to me a little bit about uh, your institute that you, that you started, as you, as you just mentioned. Um, how has it evolved since that time? What some of the key learnings that you've had from the work that's been done with, with the institute? Well, the, the Chengguru Institute began uh, in 1974 in America. That was the first, because my money was coming yeah. from geographic and so on. And it was basically for continuing to research the, the chimps to study them and to conserve them. But I all from the beginning said chimpanzees and other wildlife and education. That that was what I put in. And um, there are now 25 Jane Goodall institutes around the world. Roots and Shoots is a major program and also our Africa programs, of course. And um, as a Jane Goodall Institute Global that makes sure that different chapters around the world are in compliance with our mission and so on. And there's also a Jane Goodall Legacy Foundation because, you know, I'm nearly 90 and I'm passionate to get something like an endowment so that I can be sure that when I'm gone, the programs I've fought for all my life, well, since 1986, will continue. Incredible. Really incredible. Quite complex, but... Very complex. Working. Yeah, and it, they're, they're, they're complex problems, right, very often. People think, well, if you just did this and just do that, but it's very often far more nuanced than simply these people are cutting down trees, therefore they're bad people, as you said. It's yeah. it's uh, the need for to, to cultivate food, to feed their families. It's they're very often impoverished. And it's well, you know, poverty, the alleviation of poverty is as important as getting more sustainable lifestyles for the people at the other end of the spectrum. Absolutely. We often talk here about there's this symbiosis, which is very rarely discussed between the health of the individual and the health of the planet. And if people are not experiencing good individual health, therefore it's difficult to make decisions for their, their local em environment and vice versa. As humans, we depend on the health of the, of the soil, of the air, of the water for our own health. And it's really the need to kind of intertwine these two things. And we talk here a lot about food, food systems. And we're, we're on a farm currently. Uh, the project that I work on here is very much around climate friendly food. How important is food when it comes to sustainability and, and, and the planet? I think it's amazingly important. And the big problem is uh, industrial agriculture mm. with its heavy reliance on, on um, chemical pesticides, herbicides, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's killing the soil. It's absolutely devastating for biodiversity. The bees on whom we depend for, for you know, pollinating and giving us the food we need, they're being killed off. And the, the animal factory farms, huge areas cleared to grow the grain, to feed them more grain and, and soy to feed the cattle yeah. than for starving people, uh, harming biodiversity and using a lot of water to change vegetable to animal protein 
never mind the cruelty, which is almost, if you watch some of those secretly filmed yeah. videos, but then in addition, particularly cows are producing masses of methane gas in their digestion, which is a really virulent greenhouse gas. Luckily, not quite as prevalent as CO2 from our emissions, but still pretty bad. We've really taken things out of balance, haven't we? I think I read something recently that said that 95% of the accumulative biomass of all mammals on the planet currently are products of animal agriculture, namely pigs and, and cows. Yeah. You think about this natural balance that we've maintained up until, say, 100 years ago, and, and the knock-on effect for other species, for the soil, for the water, for the air, not to mention the chemicals that are required. And we often have this conversation about, for example, soy. You say, oh, it's the vegans eating the soy, and most of the soy cultivation actually goes to feed the animals that, yeah. that we then eat. It's just a really uh, quite a shocking... It's shocking. And also... You know, when I first, when I was sent to Cambridge University, I was told, you've got to get a degree now. We want scientists to listen to you. And I hadn't even been to college. I had to do a PhD. And the professors told me I'd done everything wrong. Chimpanzees shouldn't be named. They should have numbers. We can't talk about their personality, their mind, or their emotions. Why? Because those are unique to us. Well, I'd learned from my childhood teacher that that was rubbish that was my dog you can't share your life with any animal there isn't a line between us we're not on this great pedestal uh, which I, I guess is where religion put us yeah. we're part of the animal kingdom mm. as the great philosophers have always known and uh, the religious leaders too all of them because it was accepted eventually that indeed Chimpanzees and us are very closely related. We share 98.6% uh, wow. of oh, our DNA with them. They behave like us in so many ways. Uh, that then people began investigating the intelligence and emotions of other animals. And we now know, I don't know if you've seen my octopus teacher. Yes. I mean, the octopus with one little brain here, brains in eight arms, couldn't be more different. Unbelievably mm. intelligent. And every one of the animals on those factory farms with those hideous conditions is an individual with a personality, with feelings, can feel pain and fear and terror. We, st we started the conversation talking about individual action. I think that's actually one of the most impactful things that anyone can do. All of us eat three times a day, sometimes four, even five times a day. That decision to choose if, if, if you can organic, if you can plant-based, plant-forward food, makes such a difference uh, at scale. And th that's one of the very easy choices that everyone can make to make a positive impact on the planet. Education is very important to that. It's important. Yeah, you know, um, somebody came to one of my lectures in America and she brought her uh, five-and-a-half-year-old little girl. And she, afterwards she thought, oh, that was a mistake. A child was kind of wriggling around and not listening and looking up. So uh, she, she didn't discuss it with the child. And about five days later, the child pushed her plate away and said, I'm not eating this. And her mother said, why not? And the child said, well, it's got meat on it. And the mother said, well, so what? Jane Goodall said that if I didn't <laughs> eat meat, I'd help save the planet. I mean, isn't that It's amazing. At that age, absolutely. Five and a half. 
Absolutely. Reflecting on your achievements over the years, and there's, there's been so many, it's been just, I'm just amazed and so impressed by all the impact that you've been able to make. What are some of the key moments that you look back on and, and think that was really, that was really amazing? That was really something that, that I look back on with, with pride and with, with good memories? It's really difficult. I'm sure. I think it was an amazing moment when the US declared that all the chimpanzees in medical research would be released into sanctuaries. Not, not just because of the cruelty, but actually because a whole team of experts had gone around and been asked these experiments that were done on chimps. Which ones are beneficial? Which ones are potentially beneficial? 400 chimpanzees, not one single test was either beneficial or potentially beneficial. Just cruelty, like the animal testing that goes on today. And mostly it's the government regulations. You can't put this on the market until you test it on animals. I mean, I know people in, you know, doing medical research and they know that the new methods using computer chips and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's much more reliable, but they're, they're not allowed to market it. It's the same, it's the, the, the kind of analogy that when we, if we're still teaching children that it's okay to treat a pet dog or a pet cat differently to a pet pig, a, a pig or a cow in the same way that it's okay to throw trash and, and treat our home at home yeah. in a different way. When we draw the line between those two things which are inherently the same, we will continue to have problems about how relate to how to relate relate to each other and the planet and, and the and the world around yes. us. Yes. And that's why I'm hoping that, you know, roots and shoots really the kids do get to understand. And there's there's one other thing, I mean, the terrible wars that are raging now. How is it that the most intelligent creature, intellectual creature, one is destroying its only home and two is continuing these terrible I mean, mass slaughter, suffering, misery, refugees, migrants, you know, it's terrible. Really is, yeah. And so because we try and bring roots and shoots, uh, the older, the older sort of high school, university, bring them together from different countries when we can, usually virtually. And they're beginning to understand much more important than the color of your skill, your language, your nationality, your culture, even your religion. We're all human. We all laugh, we all cry, we all have hopes, we all have fears. I think that's one of the things that I'm most grateful for about Dubai. One of the reasons I love spending so much time here and, and living here is because we have such a such diversity. It's people from all over the world working together, collaborating, yeah. particularly here where we're, we're trying to solve these problems around sustain, sustainability in, in particular. It's amazing to have all these different experiences and cultural backgrounds pouring together. And I see it as a huge plus. You get to learn from people's different, different upbringings and different countries where, where they come from. If, them, if somebody's watching this and, and they're thinking, you know, I feel inspired to go out and, and make an impact and I want to do something to help the planet, where do they start? What, what, where do they, how do they make a start? You took huge action going to Africa and since then it feels, feels like Anytime you've seen a problem, you've, you've been motivated to find a solution to that, no matter, how, no matter how big the problem is. But how does someone sat at home start to... I to think it depends on who they are and what they want to do and how old they are and what their economic status is. 
But, you know, so often, I mean, I believe every single person was born with a role to play. And um, they so often don't find out. I, I'm sure I was born with a mission. Oh. And I didn't discover it to start with, uh, unless it was a mission to help people understand animals. But then, you know, further on the uh, mission to give people hope, because if we don't have hope, we're doomed. I think my observation would be that you had a vision, you had a strong passion and a reason for wanting to actualize that mission, but it was met with a resilience and an, and an, an integrity and a, a get up and go to go and do that. You mentioned the jobs you were working to, to raise the money to go out there and do that. And I think that motivation is, is, is empowering and inspiring for people that have a goal. So I thank you for sharing, sharing that. I think it's important to highlight in these 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 days that we have to really go out and and work for these things and, and it's challenging it's difficult to to go out there and realize what we want to do but but work, work on what you care about that's the thing don't feel that you can solve the problems of the world because you can't alone but you can solve something that's happening here do you have any closing uh, comments for related perhaps to, to the work that's about to be undertaken here in Dubai with, with Roots, Roots and Shoots and Strews, something that you'd like to, to close with? Well, I think, you know, basically I've already said it, but I really think the most important message is to remember that every day we live, we make some impact and we get to choose what sort of impact we make. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.